Amen. Let's get started uh, with meeting three. Um, I don't know what page is on y'all's, but it's on meeting. Um, title is The Person and Work of the Spirit. What page is that? Anyway. 24. Amen. Jesus. Amen. Um, yeah, let's read the title together. I enjoy in meeting one about the general sketch. Number one, what is it? God has a plan. Number two, Christ accomplished God's plan. Number three, the Spirit, what? Applies all that Christ accomplished. And then number four, the church is produced. And five, the church brings in the kingdom. And six, the kingdom issues in the new Jerusalem. So now uh, we're covering number three. The Spirit applies what Christ has accomplished. And the title is The Person and Work of the Spirit. So first of all, we're going to get into the person of the Spirit. And we need to realize, number one, it says, room number one, the Spirit, His person. The Spirit is a person. It's not an it. Romans 8, 16 says the Spirit Himself. You know, like if a mom has a baby in her hands and you ask her, Mom, what is its name? She'll be offended. It's not an it, it's a he or she. So the person is the, Spirit is the living person of God. It's not a it, it's not a ghost, it's not just some sort of power that comes upon you. It's the living person of God. And let's read number uh, eight here together, the eternal God. Three A, four B. In these verses of Acts five three, it, 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 you know, I don't want to get into all the details, but it is mentioned how Ananias it says in A deceive the Holy Spirit, and four B says you have not lied to man, but to God. So the Spirit is God. The third of the Trinity is God. It is God Himself. And uh, let's, uh, let's get into these verses. We're going to see some titles here of the Spirit, uh, and I'll develop it as we go. In Genesis 1 2 B, uh, it says, The Spirit of God was brooding. Okay. And then in Matthew 1 20, for the first time, I think, in the New Testament, you have this title, Holy Spirit. That which has been begotten in her is of the Holy Spirit. And then let's read John 7 39. Now, here's interesting. It says the Spirit was not yet. You know, why? Wasn't there the Spirit of God in Genesis? Yes. Wasn't there the Spirit at the conception of the Lord in Mary? Yes. So why does it say the Spirit was not yet? It said, then John says, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And in this verse, this reference here, Luke 24, 26 says, that he had to suffer these things. These things that we saw yesterday. He went through death and resurrection. Then he entered into glory. 
So now, more than 2,000 years ago, the Spirit is ready. It's the Spirit of the glorified Jesus. And that Spirit is not just divine. It has the humanity of Christ. It has His death, His resurrection. We're going to see it has everything that we need. And that's why, let's read Philippians 1.19 together. Bountiful supply. That's why there's such a verse like this. It's not just the spirit of Jesus, which denotes his humanity, or the spirit of Christ, which points to his resurrection. It's both. It's the compound spirit. It's not just divine. It has his humanity. It has his resurrection. It has everything we need. And, uh, you know, I was considering, or why? Why does it have all this? It's not just divine. It's because of man's failure. In Genesis, the Spirit needs all these ingredients. Praise the Lord. You know, like Ephesians 2.5 says, what? You were dead in your offenses. But we were made alive with Christ. When he entered our spirit, we were made alive. Because of all that he did. There's not just divinity, etc. You know, in my experience, I remember growing up, I don't know why, but I always experienced death. Not that I was in gross sins. I, I, I always tell my brothers, I don't want to play games. I'm just bored. I didn't want to do things growing up. I was just searching. Nothing could make me happy. Could not get it until I was 22, and I believe and repent, and Jesus came in. I remember the next day, I even enjoy hearing the birds sing. I studied fine art. I love to do fine art. It was abstract art. Not really. I want to forget the society. But when I got saved next day, I was a happy camper. Why? Because we're made alive. Praise the Lord. Um, let's read on. Let's, let's get into B. In the Old Testament, it shows us the best type of the compound spirit. Uh, let's read those verses. Exodus 30, 23 to 25. Okay, so this holy anointing oil is the type of the compound spirit. And I would, there's a lot here, just briefly getting to some of these things. And it talks about four spices. The first one is myrrh. And myrrh was used in those days to anoint, uh, what, to a dead body. That's why it signifies the precious death of Christ. Then two, you have cinnamon, which was a, a, a sweetness, represents the sweetness of, and effectiveness of the Lord's death. Um, and then what's the third one? Calamus. Calamus was a, a, a reed that grows in a mushy, muddy place, and I think it shoots up to heaven. And that signifies what? The resurrection of Christ. And then there's um, Keisha, which was an ancient repellent to, to uh, repel insects and snakes and all kinds of things. And so that signifies the power 
of the Lord's resurrection. And then the fifth thing, all these four ingredients were compounded, were mixed with the olive oil. And the olive oil, the base of the compound ointment, signifies the Spirit of God. Okay? So this four, you know, okay, the Spirit of God is, is the hint of oil. And then the four spices, the reason we say is the, it signifies creature, too, is Ezekiel 1.5, likeness of four living creatures. So basically, all this compounding of the four, of the four spices and the olive oil um, signifies the mingling of God and man in the compound spirit. And it's amazing. It gives you a picture. It has everything that you need. If you need his death, it's in the spirit. If we need his resurrection, it's in the spirit. It's the all-inclusive dose. If you're depressed, there's cinnamon. Sweetness effectiveness to make you happy. Has everything you need. And there's other verses, but I just selected this one. Let's read Romans 8, 13 here. Amen. You will live. So like I mentioned earlier, because of the complication of sin in Genesis, we don't just need life. We need the cross. And this verse shows us that it is by the Spirit, by the compound Spirit, as a source that it can, we can put to death the practices of the body. And so I remember as a new believer in the church, I came around and I realized Boy, these believers, their testimony is much higher than mine. When I go home, I don't do the things they do when they go home. When I go home, I act like a jerk. Or I don't know if that's too much of a word. Or too loose in my behavior. But when I'm around them, I act like a holy man. And so within me, I would go back to my daily life feeling the word is hypocrite. But praise the Lord. I was with the right group that showed me that I need the Spirit. God in Christ says the compound Spirit is what we need. And I remember just going to the Lord, praying, Lord, saturate me. I don't know anything, but praise you. And spontaneously, little by little, my conduct was different. You know, I would speak with the typical Latino, whatever, slang words, and which make me feel like a hypocrite. That's not how I talk in the church meeting. And then with my friends, I'm like that. And, and eventually, spontaneously, I, I don't remember how I stopped. But Jesus did it. The compound spirit in us is, is not just giving us life, but it's killing. It's killing the practices of the body. Um, okay, let's move on to the other point on C. Let's read it together. And let's read, um, maybe the guys, the brothers can read John 14, 16 through 20, and then the sisters read the other set of verses, John 16, 7, 13 through 15. And then I'll, I'll comment on some of these verses as we go. Go. The Father will give you another comforter, that he may be with you forever, even the spirit of reality. But you know him, because he abides with you and shall be in you. 
coming to you. Amen. Yet a little while, and the world beholds me no longer. But you behold me. Because I live, you also shall live. Amen. That day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Amen. Then the sisters go. So here in the beginning of John 14, 16, 20, the Lord said, I'm going to send you another comforter. You might think, oh, he's sending someone different. But then he said, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm coming to you. And then he goes further in John 16, 7, but I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. He's going away. It's not just him becoming a man, but he went through death and resurrection. That was his going away so that he would come back in a different form, in the spirit of reality. And then here it says, in, uh, but when he, again, let's see, the spirit of reality is not an it, the he. The spirit of reality comes, he will guide you into all reality. And then it says, all that the Father has is mine. See, God, the source of all. For this reason, I've said that he receives of mine and will declare it to you. So the spirit of reality guides the believers into all of God that is in Christ. And all that Christ has accomplished is applied to us. It's made real. Isn't that marvelous? All of God is in Christ and all that Christ accomplished is applied to us. It's made real to us in the spirit. God is love. God is light. God is all these wonderful things. All those things are made real to us in the Spirit. You know, when I was a student, I remember I took an intro to philosophy. I have nothing against that field. But my point is that I was reading articles, and I was interested whenever they would say, what is reality? And nobody could say reality is this. They would say, maybe reality is this, blah, blah. And, or at the most, I learned reality could be in the subconscious level. Etc. But eventually, I was just searching. Because you know, in me, this is before I got saved, there was no reality. And when I came into the meetings, and I started hearing Jesus, what is it? He's the way, the life, and the reality. I was blown away. Hallelujah, I found reality. God in Christ as the Spirit is real to us. Makes everything real to us. And uh, I remember at first, my first prayers corporately was, Lord, you are reality. That's all I could pray. Lord, thank you. You're the spirit of reality. You're the life-giving spirit. That's all I could pray. You should pray that. Lord, you are my reality. Thank you for the spirit. You're the spirit. You make all of God in you real to me. Amen. Let's move on to the next point. Uh, Roman number two, just get into the work and attributes and titles of the Spirit. Um, 
Let's read A uh, and just John 16, 8. Okay, here we see that the Spirit's first work is to convict. And to convict, it means to convince, to condemn, and to cause people to rebuke themselves. That's the first work of the Spirit, is to come to convince you, to uh, cause you to uh, rebuke yourself. And here, he's doing this in three things. One is concerning sin. And so we're born in Adam. Because of Adam, sin was passed on to all men. So, and then two, it says concerning what? Righteousness. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, the verse is not here. It says, but of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became righteousness to us. So when we believe and repent, Christ becomes our righteousness. And then 30 says concerning judgment. In verse 11, it says ruler has been judged, and that's Satan. So very interesting here. I enjoy this word where it says that the Spirit's first job is to come to convict, convict us, to um, convict us, to get out of Adam, get out of sin, believe in Jesus, repent. So that Christ can become our righteousness and we get spared from the judgment that is supposed to go just for Satan. And um, anyway, so praise the Lord. As believers, at one point, we all got convicted. We all got convinced. I need salvation. And I remember, just to give you uh, my story, um, I was living with my brother. He had already graduated from university. So I was his roommate. I'm not living in Austin anymore, but I went to UT at Austin. And um, suddenly, one, one, uh, my second semester, he started reading the Bible, a red Bible. was on the floor. And, and, and anyway, he would read on the floor. We share one bedroom apartment. And within me, the Spirit began to work, to read the Bible. And I would say to myself, well, yeah, it has to come from the heart. I don't know where I got that from. I don't know where. I'm not a religious man. I didn't grow up in any sort of, so I don't know. I just said, it has to come from the heart. So one night, it came from the heart. I felt something bugging me to get the Bible. So I grabbed that Bible, went to my room, went to bed, laid down on the bed, and started reading Matthew. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5. Nonstop. Why? On the one hand, I was like, boy, these words are soothing me. I don't know. I did not know at the time that was the Lord's words. And, and, and then I didn't finish up to five. You know why? Because the convicting came in. I stopped where it says, if you're angry with your brother, you're liable to judgment. If you look at a woman or to lust after her, you have already committed adultery. Those two things brought me in tears. I just stopped, and I just started in tears. I don't know what I said, but I do remember I was repenting. And then I got filled with life. It was like, I remember my eyes, I couldn't see that well with all the tears, and feeling joy. I was convicted. I was convinced by the Spirit. 
Get out of your sins. Yes, I never fought with anybody. My entire life, I've never thrown punches. I was a good boy, sort of. Never committed idolatry or whatever in the Old Testament, but I just, the Spirit convinced me, no, you're a sinner. And that's the first job of the Spirit. And um, um, that's why at this point touched me that we, we need to pray for people. We need to pray for our friends, for our relatives. You know, sometimes in my experience, I pray for a relative and then I give up. I see no change. Ten years later, that person is not saved. Or I hear a testimony of someone, yeah, I got all my relatives saved in the first two years. I look at my experience, none. Maybe just one in ten years. But this point touched me. We need to pray because the Spirit's first work is to convince people to get out of Adam, get into Christ, and be saved from this world. You know, when, I, when I, this happened to me, I got saved, started meeting with the church, I would ask, I would think, well, who prayed for me? Because in my history, it seemed like I just grew up in a very pagan, no, nothing religious. And then I remember my mom reading the Bible at night. Maybe that's why I read the Bible at night. I don't know. But I would see her reading the Bible often. So I went to her and asked her, Mom, did you ever pray for me? And she said, yes, I did. Because you suffer the most. You know, y'all can tell this scar. I had 30-plus surgeries growing up from the age of 5 to 17. So when she said that, I was like, Lord Jesus, I'm not a Christian just because of my own effort. It's because my mom was praying for me. I got the blessing. Praise the Lord. So we shouldn't give up on our relatives. We need to pray for them. Even I got convicted by the Spirit. I need to pray for my siblings, for your friends, that the Spirit can work in them. Amen. Let's read the next point, and let's read those verses. Maybe the brothers and sisters alternate. On B, regenerating. You know, here after the Spirit's first work to convict us, we get regenerated. And regeneration is not just a turnover of a, of a leaf or like you want to have a new start. But regeneration, what is regeneration? It's to receive another life. In addition to our human life, we have another life. It says it here, you know, John 3, 6, it's in the context of Nicodemus. Who came to the Lord, he called him a ruler. What, a teacher? No, he called the Lord, what, a teacher? But Nicodemus was a ruler, a good man. And the Lord immediately said, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And he said, well, what do you mean born again? I can't go back to my mother's womb. And then the Lord said, no, that which is born of the flesh, verse 6, is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Very clearly. And then in John 1, 12, 13, verse 13, who were begotten, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, but of God. 
So regeneration is our spiritual birth. In addition to the life of our parents in us, a human life, we have another life. Even this point still blows me away. Can you believe that? I believe it. It still blows my mind that we have another life. The uncreated, eternal life of God. And where is that life? Where did this birth transpire? It transpired right inside our spirit. I guess I used red or... Uh, inside our spirit is where this birth transpired. That's what Romans 8.10 says, but if Christ is in you, though the spirit, the body is dead because of sin, our spirit is life. And... Um, but this is amazing. As believers, when we believe in the Lord, we're just a spiritual babe. So we see this matter, we realize we just need to grow. We, you know, it's not about being a good boy, good girl. We need to feed on Christ. This verse is not here. 1 Peter 2, 2 says that newborn babes long for the godless milk of the word in order that by it you may grow. So brothers, praise the Lord. We want to grow. Hallelujah. Let's move on to the next point here on sanctifying. Uh, let's read, for the sake of time, sanctifying and the two verses together. Okay, here we see, okay, it says, we're chosen from the beginning unto sanctification, unto salvation, in sanctification of the Spirit. So when we get saved, we get generation, we continue by being sanctified. And sanctification of the Spirit consists of three steps. The first one, we already talked about it. The Spirit convicts us. Secondly, at the time we get saved, we get sanctified positionally and positionally. And then thirdly, sanctifying us is positionally as we pursue the growth in life. We want to grow. Do we want to grow? We don't want to say spiritual babe. We want to grow. And that's why we need to be saturated with the life of God. And so here, basically, positionally, I would just say it in one word. It means separation. Spirit comes to separate you from the common, ordinary things, or the worldly things. And then this positionally means saturation. Spirit separates you so that the Spirit can saturate you with the Spirit. And, um, you know, I remember, uh, anyway, in, in verse Romans 6.22 says, But now, having been free from sin and enslaved to God, you have your fruit unto sanctification and the end eternal life. So we need to be saturated so that we can get more life. We can grow spiritually. And, you know, there's a point here. You can make a note of it if you want, is that whenever we go to a certain environment, if, we sense, if you sense, if you stay there long enough, whether it's the Internet, watching movies, whatever that is, you're in a certain environment. If it decreases 
the saturation in you is a warning sign. We all get that. You're in a certain environment, and you know, eh, boy, if I stay here long enough, the enjoyment of God is gone. And I remember when I was as a student going to the meetings, enjoying the Lord. I read the Bible on my own too. I was enjoying the saturation. Even I'll come home from the meetings many times, and I would tell the Lord, Lord, I don't know anything. I only know that you want me to be saturated, to be permeated with God. And, uh, but anyway, I remember being in my daily life, and one of my habits was to take a break from drawing on the table. I, was, I also was some years in the architecture school. And, and I'll take a break from that and go put a Bob Marley cassette in the stereo. And I'll start dancing in front of people. Well, they were also working. I was taking a break. I was exercising and just dancing. It never bothered me. It was my common habit. I was also was learning to socialize. I realized I'm shy. I need to break my habit and, and, and be a fool. And so I would do that. And then I started meeting with the brothers. I got saved. And then uh, I was there. I still remember uh, I, was, I was there uh, uh, dancing reggae. I'm not going to demonstrate. Don't worry. I, also, I was no professional dancer. Don't get me wrong. Just a typical student. Making a fool of himself, that's all. No special skills. But I remember in one of those swings as I was dancing, the saturation decreased. I was even having a blast with one of my friends from Greek, from Greece. And as one of those last, I'm not going to demonstrate, swings I move, the saturation decreased. The enjoyment that I enjoy of the Lord that morning was gone. It poofed. And I was like, oh, what happened to me? Where did the Lord went? And then I remember I left that environment, went and found a private room on campus, and I prayed. And then the Lord showed me, I don't know, the sense of life. Don't do that again. And that's the last time I danced before people. And even one time, a girl who was dancing, who had taken a break from it, or she was playing the music, I think, of reggae, and I told her, hey, can you lower the sound? And I was the number one who would like to increase the volume before and stuff, and she said, come on, Victor, don't you like this? And then she started dancing reggae, and I, I just, I don't remember what I said. I just was speechless. I just stood there. Because I didn't want to lose the enjoyment of Christ. So brothers and sisters, I'm not saying I'm victorious all the time, but it's, it's, it's a good point. If if we're in an environment and the saturation decreased, maybe the Lord is leading you out of that environment or out of that habit of dancing like that in front of people. And, um, you know, another experience I had is uh, when I used to live in Austin, I, I, I stopped going to 6th Street. I don't need to explain what that is, right? It's, okay. And my brother was visiting from Germany. And we had, I had dinner with them, and then they said at the end, oh, let's go to 6th Street. And I was, oh, boy. I did not express my opinion, but in my heart, it's like, I don't want to go there. There's no life. And, I, uh. and so I, I agreed to go. So we parked. We're walking towards 6th Street, okay? Walking there, and as soon as I step on 6th Street, the saturation decreased. And I see a taxi from a distance, and I told my siblings, hey, why don't you guys go ahead? I'll take the taxi. Don't take me home. 
and they would look at me kind of funny, okay, okay, and then I left. As soon as I got inside the taxi cab, I was filled with Christ. The life level just went up. And the guy was driving super slow for the meter. I don't know if they use the meters now or the thing to track how much to charge you. But you know what? I did not care. Charge me all you want. I'm being filled with Christ. And uh, so the point here is I'm not saying stop dancing. We need the spirit. We just need to remember this word. If you're in an environment and, you de- and the joy decreases, if the joy didn't decrease, don't worry about it. But if it does decrease, then it could be the Lord is leading you out of that uh, relationship or place or thing, whatever occupies you. Um, let's read the next point in the, in the verses together. Amen. So this verse is not here, but in Titus 3, 5 says, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So again, it's not good enough just to be saved, to be regenerated, to be born of God. We need to continue in the growth in life, being saturated and being renewed. And so in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, why are we a new creation? It's because we're in Christ. Because God is in me. Because God is in our spirit, we are new. And even it says here in Romans 7, 6, what? We serve in newness of spirit. One third of our, of our being is new. Isn't that incredible? There's not just life there, the uncreated life of God, but our spirit is new. But in ourselves, we're old. We desire new things all the time, don't we? I have an iPhone 5S. I desire iPhone 6S. It's too old. You ask my wife, she'll say, yeah, Victor wants the new iPhone. There's no problem to own new things, but you got to aim at God. He is new in our spirit. And so we need to be renewed. It says here, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's in the context of put on Christ. No, Take up, put off the old man, and then verse 24 says, put on Christ. How do we do that? It's, it's by being renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's like the Lord is in our spirit, and he wants to dispense and spread into our mind, eventually emotion and will. As we're enjoying the spirit, the spirit is renewing our mind. It's invading our mind bringing in God's new thought. So that eventually you're all thinking the way we're fashioned according to this world, some of those things get discharged. And like Paul says in Philippians, I think 2.5, that we may have the mind of Christ. How can we have the mind of Christ? It's because God's goal is he wants not just to stay in our spirit, but he wants to spread from our spirit into our mind, emotion and will. and um, just to give you some of my experience, when I was, uh, again, a student, as you can tell, I've been a student a long time ago, 
I used to wear, even my daughter didn't notice it. I still have a little hole right here on my ear. I used to have a black earring. Square. A little square black earring. When I went to UT at Austin, the Austinian culture was very attractive. And before I know it, you know, I had an earring. I had some braces. I had cut my jeans and stuff like that. Anyway, so one morning, I've been enjoying the Lord, meeting with the brothers, etc. I was shaving, combing my hair back then when I had hair. And I look in the mirror, and I look at this earring, and I said to myself, these words pop in my head. Am I wearing that for God or for man? So where did I get those thoughts? Well, I've been reading the Bible this time. We do things for God, to please God, not for men. And so I spontaneously got rid of it. Oh, it's for men. It's not for God. It's not to give God the glory. And I took it off. And my point in saying this is if you have earring, don't be condemned. I'm just, that's just my experience. But the more we're enjoying the Lord, we're being renewed. It's spontaneously your view of life changes. What movies you see, how you dress, who you hang out with, who do you value to be with, how you view materialism and all those things get affected because our mind is being renewed. And uh, that was just the first thing. Eventually, the Lord went further to touch me about Wearing socks. I never wear socks. I had, there was a certain fashion. And um, no socks. I would raise some my pants up, roll them up. 1992. That's a year. And one day, the Lord touched me, you know. I just, anyway. And I still remember going to Sears, taking the city bus to go and buy socks. Ever since then, I've been wearing socks. <laughs> if you check my feet, I have socks. So praise the Lord. The Lord is not just in our spirit. He's invading. He's renewing our mind. As we're going to see, you know, Romans 12, 2, our mind, you know, we're, we're anyway, conformed to this age too much. But the, the transformation and the renewing, it all starts in our mind, which is the leading part of our being. Um, Let's read the, the next point here on uh, transforming and conforming. Let's read those two verses there. Be holding and reflecting like a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord's spirit, conformed to the image of his Son, well, I think for the sake of time, oh, oh, anyway, I'll, I'll get into this. Um, so here, we, again, transforming here is not, it's not an uh, awkward thing where we just clean up our act or behave like Christ. Transformation here is an inward metabolic change in which God is spreading his life from our spirit into our soul. Okay? And then uh, that's why here it says, but we are with an unveiled face, beholding and reflecting like a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. So transformation is to be transformed into the same image of Christ, right? And I mean, there's a lot here, but I would like to point is that the context of this verse in 2 Corinthians 3.16 says, um, but whenever the heart turns to the Lord, 
the veil is taken away. So if you look at 18, it's amazing that from our spirit, from the Lord's spirit, it says at the end, we are being transformed. We can behold the Lord. In our spirit, we can see God. But why we many times feel like we're not beholding the Lord is because there's a problem with our heart. So before you get to the spirit to exercise your spirit, we need to exercise our heart. And that's why verse 16 says, but whenever the heart turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. That should be one of our most common prayer every day. Lord Jesus, I turn my heart to you. We're just praying the word back. Because if we do that, then in 18, it, has, it tells you, now, you're, now you have an unveiled face. And you are being transformed. We don't need to analyze how much am I changing in Willie. We just need to take care of our heart and exercise our spirit. Because that's where we're being transformed. And, um, you know, this is my common prayer. I don't know. I, I, I think I'm like a broken record when it comes to this. That's my common prayer all of it, every time. I could be in a meeting like here. You all can be listening to me right now. And many times my heart, if I'm here, I'm not here. My heart is someplace else. You can just close your eyes and say, Lord, I turn my heart to you. And the Lord is going to unveil us. You know, I, I, even my daughter, when she was younger, uh, she was imitating one time. She was like two years old. She was on the couch. She had the Holy Word of Morning Revival booklet. And she was rocking like this, like I do. And she was saying, oh, Lord, my heart. Oh, Lord, my heart. Oh, Lord, my heart. It's like I saw a mirror myself. If we pray like that, truly at the end of the day, we would have gained more of the Lord. Um, let's move on to the other points. These seven points are under the uh, context of experiencing the Lord's transformation. Um, I don't have time to develop all of them, but I just read some and comment, comment on others. Uh, let's read the first one and the verses. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. It is the spirit who gives life. The spirit gives life. Okay, I, I'll probably just say that much. Hallelujah, the Spirit gives life. Let's read two in the verse, healing. But if by the Spirit you put to death the practices of the body, you will live. Like I said already, the Spirit not just gives us life, but it kills. An illustration of this is the wheat and feed product. It doesn't just feed the grass, it kills the wheat. So that's why whenever we stay away from the Lord, what happens? We get all kinds of weeds. But in this compound spirit, spirit of reality, it has myrrh, it has calamus, it has cinnamon, it has the olive oil. It has everything you need to feed us and to kill the weeds. Um, let's read the next one, inscribing and the verses together. Let's read it again together. You are letter of Christ, inscribed not with ink, but with the Spirit, in countless of hearts of 
You know, this, the context of this verse, in verse 1, it says, letters of commendation, which means the act of praising or approving someone. So it's like, it's a, nowadays you say letter of recommendation. So if we're a letter of Christ, it means we need to have a good testimony, don't we? So how can we have a good testimony? You know, there's a point here is that you cannot write the letter yourself. It's hard to say you can't do it yourself. The inscribing, it says here, is not with ink, but it's with the Spirit. It's the Spirit that is doing that job in us. It's inscribing in us. And um, I remember what turned me to God and to the believers is a testimony of, of, a, of a student in my classroom. He, to me, to a certain degree, was a letter of Christ. He was meeting with the believers. She was being inscribed. Because in verse 2, it says that this is known and read by all men. So as we're being constituted, as the Spirit, the Lord in our spirit spreads into our mind and motion and will, there's, uh, there's writing all over. And people can see that in you. They can see you're different. I'm sure y'all, when y'all go back, they'll see some difference. Your friends will see something different. Might be a good opportunity to share with them. This person wouldn't share with me. I had to ask her. She had a picture of a, of a home meeting. I said, who are they? They're my brothers. Oh, they're your brothers. Then she told me Christ is her life and it's everything. And finally, put the two pieces together. That's why she's different. She's being with the Lord. She's enjoying the Spirit. And I could read it all over. And that turned me to God. So if we want to save our friends, we need to become a letter of Christ. But listen, touch me, you can't do it yourself. You can't write that letter of recommendation yourself. It's the Spirit that is doing it. Or in conferences like this, people are sharing their enjoyment we're, we're being written all over. And uh, like uh, pretty soon, y'all will be overflowing what the Lord did with you last summer. As we're listening to that, even if that was not your experience, we need to be open. You listen to that word, you'll be, you're going to be written so that we all can become more a letter of Christ. Um, let's read the point four and the verses together. Leave it 80. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. Through them, and about midnight, Paul and Silas, while praying, sang hymns of praise to God. Amen. You know, we, as men, we always want freedom, right? We don't want to be in bondage. We all want freedom. But real freedom is in the Spirit. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And um, here we have an example of Paul and Silas. Silas, they were beaten, persecuted, thrown into prison. And even it says here that, that they were secured their feet in the stocks. And that means that was an instrument of, tor of torture with holes to hold the prisoner's wrists, ankles, and neck. But were they in bondage? Were they, were they really in bondage? Yes, physically they were. But it says here that at midnight, Paul and Silas, while praying, sang hymns of praise to God. 
Isn't that amazing? Hourly they were in prison, but they were free. In Christ, freedom in the spirit. And uh, even in our own situations, we may not be like this ever. Uh, but many times our own situations is an imprisonment. Financial situation, your grades at school is an imprisonment. Health problems is an imprisonment. But if we enjoy the Lord, we'll be liberated. Now the Lord is a spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You know, like I said already, I had 30-plus surgeries. And even though they stopped doing that at the age of 17, now I, it doesn't bother me in the list, in the least. I look in the mirror, I don't look at my scar. It's zero bothering. I only look at it when someone is staring at me. Then I say, oh, that's what they're, they're doing. It does not bother me in the least. But when I was a new believer at the age of 22, it did. Not just, this, not just the physical scar, but the history. All those years. I'll get one surgery, I have to be homebound for six weeks. Couldn't go out there and play ball like all the other kids. From the age of 5 to 17. So by the time I could play sports, did I want to play sports? No. <laughs> but when I began to enjoy the Lord and experience the Spirit, after a few years, I was liberated. Hallelujah, we can be liberated. Whatever is bothering you, if any of y'all are being bothered by something back home in college with relatives, there is glorious freedom in Christ. Christ is now the Spirit. And whenever we're enjoying the Spirit, the compound Spirit, there is freedom. Um, let's read the five, uh, number five, right? Yes. Teaching, regulating, leading. And just briefly, um, let's read all those verses there. So here we see it is that as we're experiencing the Lord as a spirit, we should have some experiences of being taught, being regulated, and being led by the Lord. Like in the first few verses, it talks about teaching. The spirit is teaching you. Acts, it says we're being forbidden by the spirit. Many times the Lord would tell you no, won't allow you. And then we're led by the spirit of God. And... Um, like I already mentioned, I was led to go buy socks. It, it was just like, where did I get that from? Whereas we're being renewed and transformed, we're being regulated. It's a sign that we're experiencing the Spirit. And also, positively, I remember being led to go and preach the gospel. I did not want to open my mouth. What I'm doing today here on the podium, no, no. You don't get me to speak. I'm just quiet. I'm just a quiet, quiet brother. Go to the meetings. I just enjoy the Lord. You can speak. I don't need to speak. I just listen to you. I just receive your Christ, brother. But eventually, I, I opened up to this brother. I said, listen, I feel like the Lord is bothering me. 
he wants me to go and, and talk to the students. And at first, when I went with that brother, I didn't say anything. I just remained quiet. But eventually, that brother got me to talk. So I would just give the track, be quiet, quiet. And then one time, I gave the track to somebody, and he just pretended he was looking at the birds. So I'm there watching that person and say, oh, okay, let me share with you. But positively, as we're enjoying the Lord, you know, in the details of our human lives, spiritually, the Lord is leading us, is teaching us. Anyway, there's not much time here. Let's read the next point. The six. Um, yeah, really briefly here, here it says that we need to have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. And to have an ear, you know, there's this verse, it's not here, Exodus 19, 28, it says, then you shall slaughter the ram and take some of the blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear. So we want to have a proper hearing spiritually. We need to confess our sins. We need to apply the blood. I think our lobe is right here, right? It needs to be bloody so that we can hear what the Spirit speaks. And even, you know, many times I come to the meetings, or we, we sometimes, right, come to the meetings spiritually deaf. Better to come to the meetings. And even I myself, many times I just force myself. I just go. And as I'm there, eventually they start singing. Eventually I begin to turn my heart and begin to confess, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't want to be here. I repent. And the Spirit will speak. And, um, yeah, let's, uh, I don't think there's, probably should stop. Let's just read number seven, just the title, and the verses together. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. But this he said concerning the Spirit. And we're all given to drink one Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and take action. You know, there's no time, the fellowship, for me to stop in one minute at five. But just to mention Daniel 9.19, that was a new verse to me. It shows that we can mix calling and praying. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. We can mix this practice of calling, praying, so that we can drink the Lord and our thirst can be quenched. Let's read F, transfiguring, glorifying. Transfigure the body of our humiliation to be conformed to the body of his glory. You know, in his salvation, God first regenerates us. He's, re he's sanctifying us, renewing us, transforming us, conforming us. And consequently, our body will be transfigured. And that's what Philippians 3.21 says. When the Lord comes back, our body will be transfigured uh, to his body. Amen. So I probably stop here. The brothers will share with us what to do.